This is lesson uh, lesson eight, I believe. Overcome. O overcome or overcoming. <clears throat> Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. While I have my sidur out here, excuse me, my borrowed sidur out here, let me turn to page 21 and read to you something and tell me if you can spot why I'm reading this. Blessed are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who removes sleep from my eyes and slumber from my eyelids. And may it be your will, Adonai our God and God of our forefathers, that you accustom us to study your Torah and attach, and attach us to your commandments. Do not bring us into the power of error, nor into the power of transgression, and sin, nor into the power of challenge, nor into the power of scorn. Let not the evil inclination dominate us, distance us from an evil person and an evil companion. Attach us to the good inclination and to good deeds and compel our evil inclination to be subservient to you. Grant us today, every day, grace, kindness, and mercy in your eyes and in the eyes of all who see us and bestow beneficial kindness upon us. Blessed are you, Adonai, who bestows beneficial kindnesses upon his people, Israel. This is the, actually, this is the, from the morning blessings, it's one of the first blessings. It is the blessing before the Akedah. Why would I read this when we talk about overcome? First John 2, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, the word of God abides you, and you have overcome the evil one. You have overcome the evil one. Uh, unfortunately, as we get into this, you'll see that sometimes the words that we're not familiar with maybe escape our notice, or more importantly, don't seem biblical. And let me give you a couple here, is the evil inclination and the good inclination. I have no good in me, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, and yet, how can we have a good inclination? And the word is yetzer, which means, or yetzer tov, yetzer hara, and it means to have the capacity or the potential to choose good, or the capacity and the potential to choose evil. I hope you have the capacity to choose good. I don't know that you always did, but I hope you do now. And then the next one I would like to read is from the Bedtime Shema. These are not by accident, that they are sandwiched the morning and the evening. Now listen to this one. <clears throat> See if you can spot it. Lay us down to sleep in peace, Adonai our God. Raise us, erect our king to life, and spread over us the shelter of your peace. Set us aright with good counsel from before your presence, and save us for your name's sake. Shield us, remove from us foe plague, sword, famine, and woe, and remove spiritual impediment from before us and behind us, and in the shadow of your wings shelter us. For God who protects and rescues us are you. For God, the gracious and compassionate King are you. Safeguard our going and coming for life and for peace from now to eternity. From the bedtime Shema. Amen. Excuse me. It was prayer. Um, what did I, why did I read that one? Foe? Is it just the foe? Our foe is named here. It says, remove spiritual impediment from before me 
and from before us and behind us. You know what that word is? It's not plural. It's singular. And it's a proper noun. Actually, it's a name. It's, it is remove hasatan. From before me and behind me. Spiritual impediment? Spiritual impediment is hasatan. So, we're talking about overcoming, and thank you very much for immediately picking up that we're talking about from First John, where we talk about where he says, "You have overcome the evil one." Later on, he says, "You've overcome the world." So, uh, last lesson we talked about knowing something is not just simply information, but that it involves relationship. In fact, uh, the notion that you could know something in your head and not know it in your heart as is often characterized in, in, in culture is, is impossible. The word know implies relationship. It is true, you can have an informational knowledge of something, but that's never the case of what John or Scripture is talking about when it talks about knowing God or God knowing you. It is always talking about a relationship. You cannot know God and simply have an informational knowledge. That's just knowing about Him. Right To know Him, you must have a relationship with Him. <clears throat> and then this week we're going to close out the entire series by this deeper look at the topic of overcome. <clears throat> what is it that we overcome? Uh, in First John, I've written to you fathers because you know Him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the Word of God remains in you and you have overcome the evil one. 1 John 2, 14. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Your faith. So overcome the world as well. So we've probably heard this before. You've probably heard this before. You have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, I will just offer to you that at least have two here listed in, in, in 1 John. The world and Hasatan. The evil one. That's 1 John 5, 4. And then there's this thing from the Zohar. These guys, I tell you. Rabbi, Rabbi Judah said, There are thus two parallel and opposing influences. From the one there flows all the inspiration of true faith and all supernal sanctifications. From the other flows whatever is evil, all kinds of death and all sorts of conditions, mischief in the world. Rabbi Hiskiah said, Assuredly it is so. Happy is he whose portion is firmly established on the good side and who does not incline himself to the other side. That's Sitra Akra. We'll talk about that in a second. But it is delivered from them. Uh, said Rabbi Judah, Assuredly it is so. And happy is he who is able to escape that side. That is the other side. And happy are those righteous who are able to wage war against that side. Rabbi Hiskiah said, How? Rabbi Judah, in reply, became to, began to discourse on this verse. For by wise guidance thou shalt make thy war. He's quoting from Proverbs 24.6. This war alludes to the war against the evil side, which man must combat and overcome, so as to be delivered from it. Now, if this sounds like Greek dualism, I would agree with you. But that's not actually what's being discussed. And we'll see why. <clears throat> what or who is that we have overcome or will overcome. What or who is it, who is our enemy? We talked about. There is a personal enemy, and then we have more of an internal enemy. You know. I don't think anybody that's ever sought to live a righteous life has ever come to the conclusion that they do not have an internal struggle or an internal enemy. 
people who deny having an internal enemy generally are people who are, uh, they are whole, they are one, they are not divided, and they are wholly evil. Holy, with a W at the beginning. <laughs> it's a war. Scripture uses military language, doesn't it, to describe a struggle with an internal enemy. Uh, we know, we know when, when we look at uh, stuff like, uh, we look at passages like in, in Ephesians chapter 6, the language of war is being used. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the, war of lang- uh, the language of war is being used. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. And the description of what is there is for the pulling down of strongholds, for uh, uh, casting out imaginations, by the way, anytime you see the word imagination in Scripture, whether it's Greek or Hebrew, you need to immediately think of one word in Hebrew, Yetzer. As in Yetzer Hara, the evil inclination, as the art scroll calls it, or Yetzer Tov, the good inclination. Uh, you know, I, you know what you you can you can debate if everyone has the Yetzer Tov or not. It's immaterial. Because in the, in the final analysis, those who do exercise it. But there's a Midrash uh, about how the uh, sages say that there's, we're constantly at war with our Yetzer and our Yotzer, the Creator. So as the more we do the Same root, by the way. The more we, exactly. So the more we're doing the will of our Creator, the less we're doing the will of the that's a, you know, the inclination. And the sages also say that you, it's easier to know the entire Talmud than to uh, eliminate one bad trait. That's right. So, in, in memorizing 10,000 plus pages of Talmud is easier than to overcome one bad trait. That's right. So, they actually teach us to harness our, our, our lust Again, that sounds like Greek dualism, but <clears throat> it also sounds a lot like Paul. Yeah. It seems to me, too, when we think about these three enemies, you know, the world, and... The flesh. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it seems to me that by far and away, the biggest enemy is the flesh. Absolutely. You know, no question about it. Or demon, demon, demon activity. Not to deny that that's possible. Right. Not, to, not to diminish or deny that that's <clears throat> right. Mm-hmm. There's not somebody out there who you know, desperately wants to nail us. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but when you know, when multiple people in the same room who were you know all over different places are all blaming stuff on you know the devil at the same time, it's like, wait a minute, guys. I mean, you're ascribing the same attributes. Mm-hmm to the devil that God has. I mean, he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same, you know. And, and, uh, but I'm, I'm always with myself. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere I go, I'm there, man. <laughs> it reminds me of a funny story that I heard years ago. 
God is walking down the road one day, and he's kind of in his little, in his little country town, and he's walking along, and he sees up on the, on the side of the road this little country church. It's, it's Sunday. And he's walking along, and as he's approaching the church, he sees, uh, he sees somebody sitting outside the church, and they're sobbing. They're just kind of sitting there crying. He gets a little closer, and he sees that it's, it's Hasatan. And so he gets closer to the church, and he walks up, and he walks up to Hasatan. He says, Hasatan, why are you crying? What's wrong? And Hasatan's like, they're blaming everything on me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and God says, well, don't worry, because what they're not blaming on you, they blame on me. So it's right. kind of a funny story, but, but the idea that it's always the devil, which, again, there is a real devil who has a real agenda. That's right. Absolutely. By far, our worst enemy is ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And I heard, I got another funny, instead of laying hands on people at the altar and casting the devil out, we should be laying hands on them and say, come out of that devil. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like it. Okay, uh, Romans 7.23, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bring me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Romans 7.23. It is a war, and we are supposed to overcome. Uh, the purpose of this lesson is not so that you immediately go and dig into all the inner workings of Yetzer Tov or Yetzer Hara or anything like that. Because in the final analysis, I do not know how my heart or my liver work. A general idea, but I really don't know. Not like a doctor knows. But they do, and I function fine without knowing a thing. <clears throat> the goal of this lesson is not to, to uh, illuminate in order to make change because of that illumination. Rather, the goal of this lesson is to encourage you that the war is a real war and that its outcome is determined if you will but put your nose to the grindstone and act as if you're as if you're a, you are going and are overcoming that's the point you don't not have, you don't have to have any part of this lesson to overcome it's not about psychology or deep kabbalistic things it's about Information simply so that you can be encouraged that God is actively engaged in what's going on in your life, inside and outside, internal and external. Your, uh, your comment before that you know, we, we don't know if, if there is a yes or no that we can discuss. We just, we don't. But it, it is my experience and, and to your point we're the problem. We are the problem. God has given us everything that pertains to life and God. Absolutely. We got it all. It's at our fingertips. He desires that we would succeed. And we are the problem. You can put the culture out and we don't need to fight again. We can flee from from Hasatan. Yeah. But we're the problem. You can't run from yourself. And if there's anything that the men in this room should recognize is that true? Absolutely. That we are the problem and we need to overcome the evil inclination that we have and simply decide, I'm not going that route anymore. And when you do... <laughs> and when you do decide you're not going that route anymore, 
you'll be exercising your Yetzer Tov. And by the way, I may, I may have mis misspoke. I don't know if everybody, if everybody in the world has an active Yetzer Tov. I know that I do. And I know that you do if you're seeking after him. Because scripture actually says you do. In the scripture, in the, in the Hebrew, it actually says it. Solomon's prayer, when he inaugurates the temple, is so that, that God will move in the people. He says, so that you will, that you will speak to their yetzer, which will communicate to their heart, and that they will choose you. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it. Wow, I wish I'd known that. But it doesn't really matter because all that really matters is choose the good, reject the evil. <laughs> How you do it doesn't matter. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, and with that ingredient, uh, we have to really realize that on love itself, we can't obtain that. No. Because love cannot teach us to not love what God That's right. So we have to have the awe of God, which will hold us back from that which initially separated us from God, and the love of God to draw us near to God more. And of course, you may have two healthy wings, and you may have obedience to the Torah, the living Torah, but you st we still need the Ruach to bring forth that wind to cause us to rise like uh, eagle. And so with that, it's not just um, something that's going to happen within ourselves, but we have to understand these two big concepts, these two things that allow us to have the healthy relationship between despising, hating, abhorring that which is opposite God and loving that which is for God. The scripture tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but men are. Why? Because their hearts are deceitful. And, and wicked. That's Russia. Basically, there are people who are wicked. That's one kind of people. There are people who are tzaddik. We call this class tzaddikim. But there are people who are tzaddik. If we want to take the extreme, and that's always a good way to frame the argument. <laughs> it's not a good position to have, but it's a good way to frame the argument. The extreme is the most righteous of all, perfect, complete, divine is Messiah Yeshua. He's the righteous one. Then you have the wicked man. Who's in the middle? Who's in the middle? I'm in the middle. Benani. Oh yes, he's been reading Tanya. The Benani. In Tanya, Rabbi, this isn't the only place, by the way. Benani is also used in the Talmud. Benani means in the middle. Ben, son, in the, son in the middle. or No, Ben is, is, is middle. Ani. So a person in the middle. Okay? Uh, in Tanya, Rabbi Shner Zalman speaks of the Benani, the intermediate man. Not Rasha, he's not an evil man, and he's not a tzaddik. Now the outside world will look at a Benani and go, what a righteous guy. But the Benani knows that he's not righteous. He knows that he does righteous things, but he knows it's a struggle. He's an intermediate man. It's very important you understand this. The Benani is not an average person. The Benani is seen as righteous by everyone except who knows? Hashem and ourselves. And, and this is consistent with the understanding that's taught through Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. That's right. With three sets of books. One, one for the that's exactly right. The righteous. One for the 
the Zadokim and one for the intermediate. That's right. So. That's exactly right. I'm a Benani. I pray you are as well. The Benani has a divided heart. This is the teaching. Now you can take it or leave it. It really isn't important. But remember, the mechanics are important. What's important is the conclusion that we get to in this lesson. But you could take it or leave it, but Rabbi Zalman says that Benani has a divided heart. On the right side, I don't know why he's the right or the left, but you'll pay attention, you may see. On the right side, he longs to serve God. On the right side, he longs to serve God and delights in his will. My father was Sidus and Versus, totally backwards inside. So he doesn't count. But what side is the right side of your heart? Is it towards the inside or the outside of your body? It points to the center. Keep that in mind. On the right side, he longs to serve God and delights in his will. On the left side, that is the sitra akra, and you can spell it with an A at the end as well, is the other side. The other side. The left side. He doesn't want to serve God on that side. The Tanya teaches that whatever, whether for good or evil, man's nature is clothed by three things. Thought, speech, and action. Actually, it's not just the Tanya. It's all, all through all, many, many, many uh, extant texts. Thought, speech, and action. We, just saw that in we did. That's very cool. Very cool. Let's look at the contrast from Romans 7. Now, I had you do an exercise, and if you went through, the, if you went through this exercise, I really hand it to you because you had to jump and back, back and forth a lot. But you, I hope you got some columns going. Ra, yeah. Rachah? Yeah. Like, no, Ra is like bad, evil. Okay. Yeah. Like Isha or Ish. Yeah. No, no, that's a different word. I'm sorry. No, that's a different word. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'd be a different root as well with the case on there. Uh, for most, the focus of Romans 7 is on the nature of the law. I mean, it's really funny. Because when even before you may have come to this understanding of a good understanding of the law, you may still have thought the focus was the law. Because he starts off in verse 1 talking about, well, if you're married and then you die, you're not under that law. So that you think the whole subject is the law. The subject is not the law. The subject has nothing to do with the law. It has to do with influences. Laws, the law acts as a good thing. Or influences where the law acts as a bad thing. Bad thing in the sense that it has a bad consequence for us. If you disobey the law, the law is not good for you. Would you agree with that? <laughs> there are multiple laws. There's at least three laws being used here in this passage. We're not going to read the whole thing, but actually I'm going to read real quick. For when we are in the flesh, the sinful passions, just keep in mind, whether you accept the concept or not, just keep in mind, Yetzer, Ra, evil inclination, or Yetzer Tov, as I go through this, okay? And think about which side of the heart, right side or left side. Verse 5. When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died, oh, phew, no more law, uh, having, <laughs> that's called lawlessness, uh, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Stop. Are you dead? Are you spiritually? So he's saying, he's saying, but you've died. You serve in the newness. Okay, keep that in mind. 
he's giving you, he makes it sound like it's either or, but he's immediately going to give you, it's both. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. What's dead? When was that? Was that when I was a righteous person? Or when I was a rasha? When I was a rasha, sin was dead. That's amazing. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking the occasion by the, by, by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy. <laughs> oh, God, the, relief. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might be appear as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For I thought he was dead. Uh, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, I do. If then I do what I will not, not to do, I agree that the law with the law that it is good but now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells within me for I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells for to will is present with me but how to perform what is good I do not find for the good that I will to do I do not do but the evil I will not to do that I practice now if, if, now if I do what I will not to do it is no longer I who do it, that, but sin that dwells in me. It's not my fault, man. Is that what he's saying? No. I find then a law that evil is present with me. Thought he was dead. The one who wills to do good. Wait, if he's dead, he doesn't want to do good. So instead of it being either or, he's just told you it's both. You want to break God's law and you want to keep God's law in you. Not just in the past, right now, maybe not this moment, but at any given time. What Paul's describing is the potential to choose to rebel and the potential to choose to obey. Someone, by the way, who's dead has no choice. They just lie there dead. Always in sin. The struggle started when I got a choice. Now there's a struggle. Why do oh, wretched man that I am. Why do I have to go through this? Why are we We're going to get to that. Sin? That's right. Just it's like what, it's what you do, man. Yes? I don't think I'll touch on this later, but the Midrash and the Gemara say that when in Zechariah, when it says uh, that they will look upon him when they have pierced and they will mourn, they will cry, um, the, the interesting discussion on who is crying and why they're crying. They say that the righteous are crying because at that time, Messiah dies and when he dies, he kills Yetzirah. And then the eyes of all the world are open. And the Zadikim will see that their Yetzirah was the size of a mountain. That's right. And then the world, the, the wicked 
nations will see that theirs was the size of a hair. Yeah. The righteous will be crying because that mountain was, was the struggle. They, they've overcome mountains, and there's still mountains there. And the, the wicked will be crying because they couldn't triumph over a hair. That's right. And they will be crying. That's very good. Excellent. I just like the fact that the Messiah is linked to the destruction of the Yetzer Haram. That's pretty cool. It's Pauline. <laughs> I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. The inward man. Right side. But I see another law in my members. Right. Left side. <laughs> Warring against the law of my mind where I actually exercise the will. And bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, as the Midrash says. Messiah. Okay, real quickly, we're going to go through these contrasts. Oh, what'd I do? I hit the stop button. I did hit the stop button. Yeah, there we go. All right. I just, I, it was in PowerPoint. Um, verse 6. This is the flesh, okay? The flesh. Verse 6. Serve in the newness of the spirit. Excuse me, that's the spirit. The flesh is what I'm interested in here. The flesh. Verse 5. Sinful passions bear the fruit of death. Verse 8. Sin produced all manner of evil in me. Verse 13. Sin was producing death in me through what is good. Is that possible? Yes, that's what the law does. It condemns us. The laws or the commandment. Verse 15, I do not understand what I'm doing. That's the flesh. I don't know, what's, what's up with this? Remember, if you're dead, you don't care. <laughs> right? Now, by the way, Paul uses, I've died, I am dead. Not to say that he's actually, that those things are inoperative. What he's saying is, he's saying that I am under the influence of death. He does. He uses law in different ways. He does. He uses death as both a breaking of a bond in the sense that, like, the woman who dies is no longer, or the man, woman whose husband has died is no longer under the bond of her husband. That's right. And so, in that sense, he is no longer under the bondage of the flesh or sin. But at the same time, sin creates its own form of death to which he is, in effect, enslaved. Because a dead man, once he's dead, he's dead. He can't do anything. That's right. Uh, verse 15, I, also, I hate what I do. Well, I'm sorry, the wicked man doesn't hate what he does. <laughs> you know, He may feel remorseful about ver- certain aspects of what he does because it's condemned by society or other people, but ultimately, he doesn't hate what he does. So, this is a consternation of the intermediate man. Mm-hmm. No, well, that's right, yeah. Uh, verse 17, no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Boy, that's not a cop-out. As you read it in English, I don't know what is. He's not saying that. 
He's taken full responsibility for this. Okay? In my flesh nothing good dwells. Evil is present in me. Verse 21, verse 22. Another law is in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, this is a difficult passage, and I'm not going to excuse and, and say this real simple to understand, and we ought to be able to figure this out, because people debated this passage for a long time. This was Paul before he was on the Damascus Road and converted to Christianity. This was Paul... Uh, this is only the carnal man. He's not speaking personally. This is the carnal Christian. Or whatever, whatever you want to come up with. The point I'm trying to make is, this sounds an awful lot like the description that we read of the Benani. Who has a war going on. Verse, uh, the spirit. The contrast. In 6, verse 6, serve in the newness of the Spirit. Verse 15, I will to do, I do not practice. He does want to do it. I want to obey God. Passionately, I want to obey Him. To will is present with me. Sometimes I'm very successful at doing what I know that I should do. I will to do good. I delight in the law of God according to the inner man or the inward man. (laughs) Verse 22, I delight. How do you delight? How do you delight if you're totally depraved? This is not a discussion of the total depravity of man. The question is, are, are, are men and women who are seeking God totally depraved? No, they can't be. They're exercising their will. Maybe they're not doing it all the time, but they're exercising their will. How are they getting... Are they getting credit for that? No, that's not the point. The point is they're bringing glory to God by obeying Him. Yes? I think that one of the things in this passage, thinking about it in a different framework, thinks are some of the parallel concepts in Tanya that helped me a lot. Was thinking about the flesh in a, in a very literal sense. He talks about the members of my body against the law of my mind. And thinking about the fact that oftentimes... That is exactly the way that it feels. Sin feels like a physical urge, you know? Drunkenness. It comes from the fact that I want physically to drink more. Not that I've ever done that necessarily, but you can get you know. You're speaking in the plural I. <laughs> Any sin that you can come up with, even anger, you know? You feel this emotion building up in you. I want to vent and release it somehow. Right. All of these sins have an expression almost in a physical flesh and blood manifestation. It's a physical urge. And then Paul contrasts that with the fact that my mind, which has been renewed, wants to obey God. That's exactly true. I look at it and I go, I don't want to choose sin, but I feel this urge to sin. The only way that I can control that, according to Paul, ultimately, is with my mind taking control of my physical body and saying, no, I will submit to God's will. I'm sorry, uh, Joshua, you're next. Go on with that uh, verse 25, the second part of what we just read. Thanks be to God through Messiah Yeshua our Lord. He's the one. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh. That's right. Now to be careful, Paul uses the word flesh a lot in, in the epistles. Lots. And he uses it just like namas, law. He uses it multiple ways. If you want to narrow in and try and say, okay, this is what the flesh is happy, good time looking because you're not going to be able to say this is what he means all the time. You, sometimes you just have to go, is he talking about the body here? Is the flesh my body? Well, if I don't have a body, do I have a flesh? You know, it's like, <laughs> Yes? Um, I think that the, 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 the
there a there's a there's a concept that I've always thought about in terms of a preference versus a conviction. Meaning, you know, I I prefer to get up and pray shockery every morning, but I don't, right? You know, I, so it's that war, it's that war, right? I really want to, but I don't. So, I, so I, I have this preference, but in, but until the preference becomes something has to happen. Uh, part of it's probably not Hashem, but you know what? Uh, some of these other concepts in order to take the preference that I have to do good and transform it into a true conviction that, that propels me to do good more often. That's right. We haven't talked much about this, but the, you know, with uh, Shavuot, uh, the giving of the Torah, and the expression of the Ruach HaKodesh, um, many times we just say the Holy Spirit. We don't even think twice about it because it's been used so much like that in English, but really it's the spirit of holiness. That's right. And what does holiness mean? I mean, it's not just any spirit that is supposed to, you know, come and comfort us and hang out with us or, or whatever. <laughs> Paraclesis, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what it says. It's the spirit of holiness. That's right. It's the very power within us that God is breathing into us on a daily basis that we need to fully embrace and desire that we would have what it takes to make that decision to say, you know, I understand Yirat Hashem, I understand Ahavat Hashem, the fear or awe of God and the love of God, but what is the, we, we need something that will come and, you know, really set us apart that, that and again, he's not going to force it upon us, uh, but we have everything as was said um, in the beginning. We've been given everything, now we need to make sure we're choosing and trusting that just the same way God sent every man before that said, He nani, here I am. He wouldn't just send them somewhere. He would also equip them That's right. with their every need. Exactly. Point the right. point of what we're doing today is to remember that we have been equipped. There's no way that the master could separate those sheep from the goats and say, Well done. Well, what? well done, my good and faithful servant. That's right. Because you made the right choices more often than making Doing something, not just thinking something. Exactly. I got great thoughts. I got great thoughts. I got great theology. But that's not what it is. And, and James, you know, you, you're making some real progress when you can tame that tongue. Boy, are you talking to me? talking to me. Would it be fair to say then that the mind is, is the seat of the will, whereas the flesh in this, in this picture is the seat of urges? You know, it, we're, we're, all of this is paraphrased, so I think that's fine. Sure. They say when you feel an impulse to do something wrong, count to three. In this way, you defeat the yetzer because it acts on impulse. That's the, the, no question that the yetzer, ra, yetzer hara acts on impulse. Just to go back to what to go back real quickly about Greg, what Greg Greg says. If I could, if I could paraphrase the Rebbe of blessed memory. He might say something along these lines. The, the preference is the yetzer tov. The doing it is the exercise of the will. So, the internal struggle. First Kings. I'm not, not going to go through all these, but I, but I do need to touch on a couple of these. Um, 
I'm going to go to, actually, I'm going to go to Psalms 119, 1 through 6. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of Hashem. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with, with the whole heart. Seek him with the whole heart. I don't want to get too deeply into this, but we don't want our Yetzer Hara to be destroyed while we're living in this body. I know that seems like you should want that. Paul does not teach against the crucifixion. Let me rephrase that. Paul does not teach us to put to death our evil inclination. I know it seems like you've read that, but you haven't. To mortify the flesh is not a biblical phrase. Crucify the flesh is. Mortify the flesh is not a biblical phrase. That comes from the early church fathers who totally twisted this and turned it into, oh, if I want to be holy, I'm going to live in a cave all day long. Yeah, yeah. or I'm going, to, I'm going to beat myself. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, if you want to get rid of sin, the quickest way is to take your life. That's not what God wants. What God wants is He wants, he wants the exercise of the will to choose Him, not yourself, because that brings Him glory. That's what He wants. He could wipe out sin today. That's not the issue. The issue is to bring Him glory in people who have a choice between good and evil. One of the things about repentance that I believe I've heard from the sages is the idea that true repentance is marked when you have the same opportunity to sin that you had before. That's right. And this time you choose good. That's why you can't tell right away. In other words, it's not the absence of conflict mm. that defines righteousness. It is the person's overcoming. That's right. Of that Very good. That defines that person's righteousness. Verse thirty-nine, Psalm. Excuse me. Verse four, Psalm one nineteen, uh, verse three. They do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Talking about the righteous, the undefiled. They have commanded it. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Now he's just described people that are like sound perfect. And then he turns right around and says, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. He's just described the Benani. The concept of, well, here's the righteous and they're, they're doing all their stuff they're supposed to. Oh, I wish I did it all the time. That's the struggle of, of the man in between. That's our struggle. I'm going to go down to 143, Psalm 119, 143. Trouble and anguish should overtaken me, but your commandment, commandments are my delight. And they're in verse uh, 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Sir, seek your servant, for I do not forget, for I do not forget your law. Commandments. I do not forget your commandments. So he's, he's got conflict. David's a, David's a regular guy. <laughs> he's the righteous David. But he's also the intermediate David. It reminds me of the passage in Isaiah where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. And now. Says, Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. You got that. Yeah. And here is, I mean, he's a Zadok king. Absolutely. It's not, I would say, Absolutely. He's not Baoni. He's Zadikim. He's Zadikim, yep. And yet, in the light of a perfectly holy God, he's like... All of our righteousness is his filthy rags. Which of, course, which, of course, is a great illustration as to why everyone has to have Mashiach. Absolutely. Because 
even though he is not a king, it ain't good enough. Don't justify him before that person. No, no, that's right. It's not good enough. To be righteous by righteous deeds is not righteous enough. At the same time, um, stepping away from justification, which is how we determine that we are just before God, in a sense, or how He determines when we are just before Him, we can't do that. Sanctification, the deeds seem to be essential. Now, thinking about the passage you just read in Psalm 119, and there were several of these preferences you gave us, that almost the implication was almost there that if you want to begin to change that heart to really harness, like Johnny said earlier, harness those um, natural urges and instincts. You can, br- the- you can make the Yetzer Hara do good things. The only way to do that, really, <laughs> is by doing and thinking That's right. good things. That's In right. other words, the idea that somehow you could, um, like asceticism, asceticism argues that if I deny myself, I will bring my body into control. That doesn't work. It makes it worse. You can't, you can't sit there and think <laughs> about changing yourself over and over and over again. Nor, I think, I would even go so far as to say that, you know, spiritualism by itself can't change the heart. Ultimately, you have to put your faith and trust in God because you need the Spirit to actually enable you to do it. But then you must merge that with deeds and thoughts that match God's word. Yeah, just, just to follow up on that, I, I agree. I, I, I look at it as justification is something that clearly only God does on our behalf. Um, yeah. It's not my job. It's a partnership. Right. It requires us doing stuff empowered by His Spirit. Otherwise, again, otherwise than just lay in bed and say, get me up. Make me do what I'm supposed to do. I'm a marionette. Okay. No one does that, by the way. Help me on this one issue. Why does Yeshua say, pray like this, lead me not into temptation? That's right. If it's supposed to be the inward struggle, why are we praying not? Well, we're going to get into that as well, if we have time. <laughs> but remember just what I just read from the, uh, from the morning prayers. Actually, that's exactly what he says. He says, you know, don't let us come into this influence. Yeah. It seems also along with what's being said here is that we usually tend to look at salvation as something in the past. That's right, it's not. And so that sanctification is something from, well, here's salvation over here in the past, and sanctification is over here, when in reality, if you look at the tenses, you will be saved, means it's in the Future. future, and it is our obligation to walk out this fear and trembling. Slightly. Then people call sanctification. Good comments. i got to move on. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, this is part of the problem with this discussion is that a lot of times people get enamored by the details and forget that they're actually supposed to do something. You know, if you read the books, you may feel more holy, <laughs> but you won't be. You actually have to exercise this for it to be real in your life. Otherwise, it's just, it's just talk. The heart, you can't know your own heart. You don't know where you are. By the way, the, the, the suggestion is everyone should always consider himself a lot less than he may really be.
not just to teach it. That's right. Well, you, well I mean, we can teach it. Teaching's the easy job. Uh, live by the flesh or die, put to death the deeds of the body, and live. Notice, Paul does not say put to death the flesh. Ever. I know it seems like you've heard that, but he never has. He says, crucify the flesh. Crucifixion was execution, but it was an excruciating execution, not because you died. It was excruciating because you were fastened to a stake. Harness it. Capture it. Torture it if necessary, but don't kill it. Actually, don't torture it because that's, that's the opposite of what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, self-flagellation or mortification, which is a word that is not found. You are not ever commanded to mortify the flesh. Live in the newness of the Spirit and you will not do the deeds of the flesh. You see... If you concentrate on the right side of the heart, you don't have to worry about the left side of the heart causing you a problem. Okay. Flesh and the Spirit oppose each other. You know, I wish we had time to go through all these scriptures because, and if you didn't do it, I hope you go back and do it. As this discussion has shown, this is a topic that we all could probably spend all year talking about. It's good stuff. And necessary. Paul says he hasn't apprehended, but presses on. Paul's not a, he's not considering himself a tzaddik. He's considering himself an intermediate man. And he's admitted to it in Romans 7. 2 Timothy, he says, God is going to deliver us from all evil work, my own included. That's, boy, that's a, that is an encouragement to me. I'm not alone in this struggle, the external struggle. Let's talk about the external. And Jonathan, you brought this up. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, The enemy is the god of this world. That's what he's called. He's called the god of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. In Ephesians chapter 2. He is a real entity. He is not omnipresent or anything like that. The angels aren't. At least they're not ever described that way. Yet when we compare them to God, we know that God is infinitely above them and omnipresent. Well, the language used, the God of this world, is the sense that the world considers, in a sense, him to be his God. But Hasatan is really a fallen angel. He's not a deity of any shape. That's right, no. Uh, He masquerades as one. Ephesians 6, we're supposed to stand against the wiles of the devil. How do we do it? Put on the whole armor of God. So that you will be able to withstand. Now, we've talked about the inner struggle as being the, the principal struggle. But certainly he knows that struggle. And so he's going to capital upon, capitalize upon it. Because he knows all in all, the, the enemy within a, a fortified city is much more dangerous than an enemy without. As long as he can supply the enemy within with, in, with information. Right? We're out here ready to take over. All you've got to do is finish inside. That's exactly what his job is. He's not worried about killing you, although he'd love to do that. That's not the point. What he wants to do is he wants to bring you into position so that your, your yetzer hara, your flesh as Paul calls it, will not choose God's way. Then he's, he's disabled you. 
Remember, the goal is glorify God. He's disabled you. You're not glorifying God. I can move on. The surest way to move out of his target, and when I'm talking about him, he's not personally focused on you, I don't think. <laughs> but whether he has other people doing it or whatever, or other things doing it or whatever. But the point is, if you want to move out of the target, just give up. Just give up. It's not worth it. Yeah. I'm not saying you won't be influenced. You'll be, have a lot of influence, bad influence as well. But most of it will be within. We don't need help. In, 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 when, in the story of Noah, it says God looked at man. He saw, he saw that every inclination was for evil. Forget all the, the influences of, of the enemy or the fallen angels. Their influences were evil. By the way, that's yet, sir. Hurrah. That's what the words are used. Every inclination was for evil. First Peter, be diligent and sober because the devil walks about like a lion. And in Revelation 12.9, the enemy, the serpent of old, the devil, Hasatan. Boy, he's got lots of names. Okay, overcomers. Boy, this is good stuff. Wish we had time to go over all of it. <laughs> Romans 12.21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's not talking about outside only. That's usually the way people read this. Well, if somebody's being ugly to me, I'll be nice to them. You may get killed doing that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do, but I'm just saying, you know, that may be a way to go about. I don't know. You know, in that, in that moment, maybe you should do something nice if somebody does something evil to you. Turn the other cheek and all that. But I think the focus here is talking about something else. Overcome evil within. That's the great thing about God's commandments. That's one of the gifts that he gave us. It's not just so that we obey him, but that we exercise obedience for him is for our benefit. It helps us in our struggle. It's remarkable. I mean, the commandments are wonderful gifts in that area. First John, young men have overcome the wicked one. I love this. Why is an old man overcome the wicked one? Young men have overcome the wicked one. How do they overcome the wicked one? External. How do they overcome him? It says you know the word of God. Or the word of God is in you. That's right. It's quick to mind. I can, I, can, I can destroy, I can cast down that imagination raised up against the knowledge of God. Why? Because the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but mighty. And of course, the perfect example of that was Yeshua himself in the desert. Exactly. And Hasatan Absolutely. As one of the older men in this group, deference to some older, but as one of the older men in this group, I can tell you experience is very valuable. My life experience has been very valuable for me knowing how life works. But I do not have the mind that you young men have. I did when I was your age, but I don't anymore. Now is the time to fill it Fill it with the word. Because then it will be powerful for the pulling down of strongholds and everything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. Earlier you mentioned the full armor. And a lot of people say the, the sword of the spirit, but don't finish... Which is the word of... That's right. First uh, John 4.4 4, Greater is he... This is an encouragement. Greater as he is in us than he's in the world. The God of the universe is much greater than the God of this world. 
overcome, verse John 4, 5, overcome the world with our faith. You overcome the world with your faith? That's pretty remarkable. What's faith mean? Is it a thought? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. How do you overcome the world? You don't quit. That is faith. You don't quit. You know the truth and you keep walking on the path that you know is the path laid out for you. It's the path of Messiah. You don't quit. You plod on. It's, a, it's an axiom of life as well. Isn't 95% of life just getting up and doing it? Just not giving up? Well, why would spiritual life be any different? He expresses the opposite uh, by saying that those that have no faith are no longer with us. That's right. They, they give up. They give up. Overcomers will eat from the tree of life. By the way, Revelation has tons of use of the word overcomer. Victors. Overcomers will eat from the tree of life. I'm going to read these real quick. Overcomers will not be hurt by the second death. They will eat from the hidden manna. This is some really mystic stuff. Given powers over the nations. Overcomers are giving him power over the nations. Clothed in white, not blotted out. What's that remind you of? You see, this is what we talk about. We talk about, we talk about this concept of uh, Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, the judgment day. We enter the days of awe. Where we're benani. We're in the middle. We're not truly righteous. We're not in the righteous book. God declares us righteous, but we're not in the righteous book. What we want to do is we want to walk into that Yom Kippur clothed in white. That is what we see in Revelation chapter 19. Those righteous ones, hagios, saints in English, it's righteous ones, holy ones, Right? Holy ones clothed in white. Overcomers. The name of Hashem will be written on overcomers. What's that remind you of? It also should remind you of the daily prayers. Where I place my name on you with this blessing. Overcomers will sit on Messiah's throne with him. It's going to be crowded, I hope. (laughs) One thing I just real quick about these Revelation passages, if you look especially the last... Um, it's extremely relationship driven. It's about a sense of intimacy with the God of the universe that is really unparalleled. I mean, you get to rule like He rules. You sit on the throne with Him. You have His holy name inscribed on you. He gives you a secret name. Yeah. He it le- leads you into secret mysteries and things. You know, He's got a name on His thigh that no one knows. But it will be written on you. In other words. The no, it's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Of that he does know that. Is him. Yeah. The, it's it's an intimacy with Hashem Himself that is truly unparalleled, and that is a phenomenal thing to be working towards. That's right, and you know, and, um, you bring up a po- great point. The name on the thigh is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The name that He gives you that's no one knows. He has a name that no one knows as well. But the name that He gives you, written on a stone. I mean, does that not give you the image of, of a marriage relationship or, or a, a relationship where it's just very, very intimate, two people sharing jewelry or whatever? Yeah, sorry. You said it, so I had to say it. Uh, Revelation. Uh, we have overcome, so overcome. You have overcome. He makes overcomers overcome. This is, this is the point of the whole lesson. He makes overcomers overcome. 
in the final analysis, all that matters is you get up in the morning, you do the things you know you're supposed to do, and you leave the results to Him. The reward is there. But it's immaterial. All that matters is just get up and do the things that you know you're supposed to do. Yes? James 4. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. That's right. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Absolutely. In this passage, we see the whole part that we do something, and at the same time, he's responding and doing as well. Lessons in Tanya. Rather, the evil inclination than the Benani is no more than, for example, a magistrate or a judge who expresses his opinion, this is the left side of the heart, <laughs> on a point of law. I think I object. Yet, in fact, his decision is not necessarily final, for there is another magistrate or a judge who disagrees with him. It, is then, it then becomes necessary to arbitrate between the two, and the final verdict will rest with the arbitrator capital A. Similarly, in the battle between the evil inclination and the good, the evil inclination states its opinion on the left part of the heart. From the heart, the desire ascends to the mind for contemplation. Immediately, it is challenged by the second judge, the divine soul residing in the brain. Okay, we, we, he's not saying you're divine. So he's, he's saying the, the part that is, is in communion with God. Okay? The Ruach HaKodesh. Residing in the brain. For contempl- uh, uh, which extends to the right part of the heart where the good inclination abides. The final verdict rests with the arbitrator, the Holy One, blessed is He, who comes to the aid of the good inclination. So when I choose right, I don't get to pat myself on the back. I can say, God enabled me to obey Him, to will and to do His good will. Romans 7, 24-25 uh, says, O wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. It's He that's the final arbitrator. Joshua. And I think this goes back again to what Paul is saying in the Romans 7 passage about no longer being in bondage to the flesh. That's right. Ultimately, um, there are times in our struggle with sin where it feels like we are almost forced to choose sin. Like it's too big of a fight for us to win. But we see from the fact that Hashem has given us His Spirit, God has given us the ability, the capacity to always choose good with His help. The root for Yetzer is Yatsar, which means to form. When it says in the scriptures that God formed the animals, it says Yatsar. One Yud. When it says that God formed Adam from the dust of the earth, it says Yatzar, Tuyud. Why? Same word, Tuyud. Because he gave you Tov and Hara. The animal can only do whatever. He's totally driven by whatever comes into his mind, whatever grabs his attention, he's going to do it. The animalistic nature. We have very similar tendencies. But we are not animals. We've been given a choice to choose Him, to choose good. When we exercise the 
left side of the heart, as, as uh, <laughs> the Rebbe says. Uh, when we exercise the left side of the heart, or as Paul says, when we give in to the flesh, and we are apparently bound by the flesh, then it doesn't seem like there's any hope for us. What can the man who is there do? There's no hope for me. I just give up. I keep sinning. What do I do? And you, like the man that's drowning, raise your hand and say, I can't save myself. Will someone save me? He will. He will respond. That is what, that's the first, the first step of repentance. Repentance, as Joshua correctly uh, described, is when we start exercising the other side. And we start choosing to do the things that we know we should. And when the temptations come, when the animalistic inclinations come, we say no, or we harness them in a righteous way. I'm hungry. I thank God when I eat. I'm thirsty. I thank God when I drink. Those inclinations are not bad, but they can be. That's right. Save us. Mm-hmm. Shall save? Heal us. And we will be healed. If he doesn't, if he doesn't do we, it, it ain't bad. It's not going to happen. No amount of effort on our part is going to make us righteous. I believe. Help my unbelief. That's it. Are you an overcomer? I hope you are. If you're a disciple of Messiah, it is what you are called to be. Overcomers. And to overcome Never give up the struggle against the enemy, internal or external, for a righteous man may fall down, may fall seven times and rise again. Don't stop. Don't give up. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed are you who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, Revelation 22.7. I think that's it. Thank you. Oh, it was off the whole time. <laughs>